from LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. I'll be interested in seeing the um, the ISM data, which not only highlights manufacturing orders, but also supplier delivery times and backlogs, prices paid, um, and then Friday jobs report. At the consensus at last check is about 400,000, which is a pretty good number. That's what we did last month, roughly. Anything that can get the um, market's attention off of uh, Eastern Europe and focus on the good fundamentals in the U.S. economy, I think that will help stocks stabilize here. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the LPL Market Signals podcast. Ryan and Jeff here. Now, clearly, we have a lot of very, very serious things to discuss with what's going on in the Ukraine and Russia and geopolitically. But we're going to start off with a little fun, then we're going to get very serious. Jeff, you went to Florida um, last week. We've got a playful uh, view. We think of you live playing in the uh, on the beach there on the YouTube channel for those people who want to look at that. But how, how was your trip to Florida, Jeff, before we get serious? Oh, what a flattering picture. I uh, Yeah, I know. I know. Is that a guava? I, I'm not sure. I did have a really nice vacation. I mean, to go from near zero temperatures and a snowstorm to 80 and sunny every day, can't beat that. But yeah, our minds are with those in Ukraine. What a heartbreaking story. Uh, inspirational resistance, certainly, uh, from uh, not just the Ukrainian military, but the civilians as, as well. So we'll see, certainly, we're thinking about those folks and, um, you know, that's kind of uh, dominating our psyches these days, but it was nice to get away. I hadn't really gotten away for vacation in, in, in quite some time. Uh, last question. You went to Sanibel Island. Did you get to try Grandma Dot's grouper sandwich or what was your favorite food down there? And then we'll get serious. You know, I... I lobbied the family for that every day but nobody else eats seafood oh man and so you know that menu outside of seafood isn't that great and you know just my kids just wanted to go to the pool (laughs) that was we did a lot of pool time uh introduced my 12 year old to pina coladas Mm -hmm. the the virgin variety Mm -hmm. but uh she liked (laughs) like that a lot so just sitting by the pool a lot going to the beach a lot um, Sanibel, the, the uh, lighthouse beach in Sanibel is really nice. So, you know, that was really where we, what we did most of the time. The eating was kind of uh, secondary, I guess. Well, uh, good thing I'm not in your family because one thing my family always gets upset about me, I think I plan everything around eating. But <laughs> well, 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 I'm glad you're back. And I did make half a joke two weeks ago that if everything goes crazy, I'm blaming you for being on vacation. And things kind of went crazy last week. That's what we're going to talk about this week in the LPL Market Signals podcast. Uh, war in Eastern Europe, right? Um, things things have really, really taken a, a turn since the last time we did this podcast. Obviously, Jeff and I are going to discuss kind of the latest in the issues. And honestly, by the time people listen to this, let's be real, things, things are different, right? News is swirling so, so very quickly. We'll kind of give our our two cents on how we see things playing out over there, what it potentially means for the economy and the stock markets. Going to take a look at March seasonality. Historically, March has been a decent month, but this year is anything but normal. Then we're going to kind of wrap it up with a look at the Fed inflation and asset allocation as it pertains to everything that's happening uh, in Russia, between Russia and Ukraine. So, Jeff, you are back. You're getting caught up. Welcome back in the saddle here. What are kind of your high-level views? We're going to spend you know, five or six minutes here talking about Russia and Ukraine. What are your kind of high-level views on what, what's happening right here? Yeah, no, no doubt it's um, it, it's scary for all of us. Um, I think the 
you know, most important thing for investors to keep in mind is that, um, you know, the stocks follow the economy and corporate profits. And so while this is disruptive right now, um, and it will be certainly, unfortunately, for a little bit longer, uh, it appears. Um, on the other side, we've got, you know, pretty good economic and market fundamentals to look forward to. Uh, one of the advantages that individual investors have in situations like that, and I think, I'm not sure if you put the slide in of all the geopolitical events, um, and we can certainly look at all of those, and those are encouraging too, to see how stocks handled previous uh, geopolitical threats. Uh, but what's the advantage that individual investors have is that they can be long-term, right? They can, they can wait these things out. We don't have to report uh, quarterly returns uh, like a mutual fund portfolio manager might have to do. So, you know, we think we just had an investment committee meeting yesterday and nobody on the team suggested de-risking at this point. Um, in, in fact, um, it's, it's pretty easy to be more positive on stocks, uh, I think, right now than maybe we were, uh, you know, at the recent highs when we hadn't had a pullback for so long. Yeah, absolutely. You would have thought I added that chart, but I guess I didn't. But that's all right, because we look back at 37 geopolitical events, major ones, right? I mean, World War II, JFK assassination, 9-11, invading Iraq, um, or Iraq invading Kuwait, uh, different wars. What we found, guys, was kind of interesting. And I said it's almost simple. I don't know if it's this, always this simple, but it, it was when I looked into it. A year after these major, major geopolitical events, if the economy is not already in a recession or about to go into a recession, one year later, S&P is up 11% on average. If you're in a recession or about to go in a recession, S&P is down about 11% on average. So again, you know, we'll talk about the economy throughout this, but our base case at LPL Research, just like Jeff said in our, in our committee meeting yesterday, we don't see a recession this year. You know, we, we see some strength coming on. And as, as things continue to open up, consumer spending was just up 2.1% last month, way better than expected. Retail sales up 3.8%. We can go over and over. The consumer continues to um, be out there and growing and spending. And that's 70% of the economy. So the idea that we're going to have a recession this year is very slim. So again, could this be an opportunity? Now, Jeff, one chart I did share, and we've got it on the screen here, at least on the YouTube channel. We took a look at all the different market corrections that were between 10 and 15%. Remember, this recent correction from the S&P was right about 12%. Now, this is closing basis. We were down, gee, I don't know, close to 15% intraday. So good size correction. Sure enough, when we look back at all these since 1980, the returns one year later over 20% on average, higher 92% of the time. I think it's 12 out of 13 times you're higher a year later. No one knows when the market's about to bottom. All right, we, we could be pretty close. I mean, I think we're getting, you know, we're, we're trying to carve out a bottom here. Um, so there could be a little more weakness. But again, when you're in this range of between 10 and 15% corrections, there can be extremely strong price performance going out a year. So again, don't we're not ignoring the, the worries and concerns that are there. We started this year, obviously worried about a uh, more hawkish Fed. We'll talk about that here near the end and clearly move to geopolitical events and, and concerns. But if you're not in a recession, things tend to do uh, fairly well. Now, Jeff, one other comment for me to let you talk about this one. The idea of a bear market, we've had them before, we're going to have them again, right? And you can have them without I'm sorry, you can't have them without a recession. Here's the catch. Now, bear market's a 20% peak to trough correction. We've had one bear market in the last 50 years that wasn't around a recession. That was 1987. 
All right. So again, could stocks go a little lower from here? Sure. I mean, absolutely could. But Jeff, kind of talk to me about, you know, as the equity strategist on the team, what you think about stocks here and now? Are we getting close to a low? And the idea if we don't have a recession, maybe this is a good buying opportunity, right? Take it away. Oh, sure. Um, we um, we had the uh, the chart in our 2022 outlook showing mid-cycle years, which basically says what you just spelled out, right? If the economy grows and you're not about to head into a recession, the odds of a gain are really, really high mm-hmm. and, and many, many double digit gains. So, um, you know, you look at the uh, Ukraine uh, situation and, and, and what economic impact it might have. Sure, it's going to hurt a bit, right? Especially Europe, right? Because Europe buys a lot of energy from, from Russia. Uh, so there will be economic impact. Uh, there will be less economic impact in, in the U.S. In fact, the U.S. will benefit in, in some regards, right, with energy production um, and capital investment from the energy sector to try to fill the gap from less buying of Russian energy around the world. So, um, you know, maybe it's 20 basis points of GDP impact uh, at most. So, you know, as long as most reasonable outcomes actually come to fruition here. Uh, we're not talking about a World War III, certainly, uh, situation where NATO gets involved. But um, the, um, you know, the odds of that stocks go up when, when the economy grows, great. So, you know, maybe we, you know, our four to four and a half percent GDP growth forecast, maybe that's high. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're probably looking at the low end as best case scenario at this point. But we're not talking about recession. We're not talking about 2% GDP growth, we think. That's very, very unlikely. Probably something uh, well north of 3%. Um, and and maybe uh, maybe even high threes. Now, great point there. Now let's talk about the idea of recession in Europe, right? We don't see one in the U.S. I mean, Russia with the sanctions and things that have been put on place, I mean, Russia is going to be in a recession. Maybe they are right now. I mean, very very soon. Russia has a lot of their exports uh, to Europe, so there is some fall. Look at what's happened with Germany stock market, right? Germany stock market has been quite weak. I mean, the whole globe's been weak, I'll be honest, but Germany even more so. Um, you know, and you think about it, you know, you look around the globe, what's happening, right? Companies like BP, um, uh, UPS, FedEx, a lot of others are starting to just totally say, we're not doing anything in Russia anymore. If we had any investments, we're going to start to sell them. I mean, there, there are some very powerful things taking place, Jeff, but how worried should we be if Russia goes into a recession and that fallout doesn't impact the United States that much? It hurts global economy, yes, but it slows down Europe. At the very least, it's going to slow down Europe, maybe even put Europe on the brink of a recession. Does that worry you a little bit? Sure. If... Um... If Europe can't buy Russian energy, mm-hmm. then we have a real problem, right? Uh, some, depending on how you measure it, somewhere between a quarter and a third of Europe's energy needs are um, are Russia-based, Russia-sourced. So that is a that is a concern, no doubt. The world will scramble to try to fill that gap as much as possible. Uh, maybe Iranian oil fills part of that gap. We'll see. But um, yeah, that's a challenge. And so some people think Germany is is about to head into recession. Uh, this is, you know, we were starting to get more interested in investing in Europe. Uh, Mm -hmm. now, you know, we're, we're thinking that, you know, going the other way, right. Europe is clearly where the most risk is. Uh, the U S is in a more favorable position, not being a big trader with Russia anyway, and not being reliant um, on Russian energy a little bit, but very, very little, uh, Russian energy ends up in the U S. Yeah. I think I've got it here in front of me somewhere. It's, um, Oh, uh, Russia exports 2.8 million barrels a day to Europe. That's of crude oil. 
and about 74,000 barrels a day to the United States. So very, very minimal there. But again, uh, you know, the, the domino effect and the whole the taking Russia main uh, large banks off of the SWIFT messaging uh, system that interconnects all the different banks. They can still do deals, but, you know, it's kind of like you're on a dial-up internet and someone picks up the phone, you're kicked off the internet. I know our older listeners from the early to mid-90s know what I'm talking about there. So that is a major, major issue with, with, with take, hurt, to hurt Russia, right? I mean, Jeff, one other thing, let's, let's talk about this. I mean, then we'll move forward. It seems like taking Russia off of SWIFT, uh, the, the SWIFT messaging is, is a very, very big deal to, to punish Russia, to put them in a financial crisis, to slow them down, whatever it is, to st- make them stop doing what they're doing to Ukraine. Also, by the way, Russia had about $630 billion in reserves, um, currency reserves around the globe. Now they can't reach it anymore. We said you can't take that because they used to just have these sanctions and they had all this money stored all over the place. And they just kind of like bury money in the backyard. And you OK, well, you take away my allowance. I got money buried in the backyard. Big deal. So we're trying to really punish, uh, not we, the, the globe, <laughs> for the, in essence, is trying to punish Russia. Are we just trying to put them in a financial crisis? I mean, it feels like that's, that's what they're in, right? The ruble's crashing. They're in. Yeah, the ruble, I think, was down 30% over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, yes, the, the the world is driving a run on the bank. You, you know, you've seen images of long lines at, at ATMs and, you know, the oligarchs trying to get their yachts out and all of that. Um, th- th- there is this massive exodus of capital. Uh, Russia has put on these capital controls to try to keep uh, financial assets uh, in, in the country uh, to support the ruble. Uh, it, it's probably not going to work too well. So yes, we, you know, every passing day, the financial pain gets greater, the economic pain gets greater. And so obviously the hope there is that that will um, push uh, Putin back to the bargaining table. Uh, absolutely there. I guess the, the, the fear could be if the pain is greater, maybe the risks and things that they do in the Ukraine can get greater. And that's the uncertainty um, that, that we're clearly all dealing with, but definitely something we are going to watch I mean, we watch it every minute, every hour. Uh, we're going to continue to pay attention to it. But again, the underlying economy still looks pretty strong to us. And from a purely investments point of view, that's something most inv- most investors need to remember. So, Jeff, let's move forward. Um, you know, what did we know coming into this year? Well, we knew coming into this year, early in a midterm year, historically, stocks don't do all that well. And we talked about this, I think, on this podcast a little bit ago. If you look at the average midterm year since 1950, the S&P is actually down year to date on average in early October. You get a big rally right around the midterm election, the uncertainty election alleviated in a big bounce. Um, so just something to be aware of. So we knew historically the Fed starts hiking rates. You're probably going to have more volatility. The economy is aging. Probably going to have more volatility. Only a 5.2% correction all of last year on the S&P likely means more volatility this year. We said, you know, on this very podcast, in our various outlooks, we did, hey, we think there could be a 10% correction, 10 to 15% correction this year. We didn't quite think it happened to start of the year like it did. But the idea of this um, volatility, to be honest, isn't a shock when you look at some of these other factors. But again, it feels like it when you follow the day-to-day news and, and very concerning. Now, Jeff, I want to talk about March for a second here. Um, good riddance to February, right? The first two months of the year were down. Um, which we'll talk about next. But historically, Jeff, March has been a pretty decent month. I mean, historically, uh, midterm year is pretty solid. Just since 1950, pretty solid. Last 10 years, not so great. That's because there's a 12% drop in 2020 skewing things. But the last 20 years, it's it's one of the better months as well. Do you think we can get an equity bounce here, Jeff, this March, and the Bulls could um, you know, take have some fun for a change after really getting beat up to start this year? 
Yeah, well, certainly some uh, resolution in uh, Eastern Europe would help. Um, the, the other side of that bearish narrative, of course, is that the Federal Reserve is going to back off the heights. We'll talk about that more in a bit. Um, so, you know, it's possible that um, uh, that we get a, they're all bad outcomes, but a relatively less bad outcome in, in Ukraine. And the Fed, uh, alongside that, slows down the pace of hikes from the six or seven that many had anticipated. And maybe the market's okay with that. So um, sure, we we could absolutely get a rally in, in, in March. It, it might take a little bit longer than that, consistent with the midterm election year pattern. But um, you know, stocks have gotten a lot cheaper here. Earnings still growing, good earnings season. You know, PEs are you know down like 18, 19. We haven't seen that in a while. So um, on the SP 500. So that, sure, uh, bargain hunters are, are looking to, to step in. We've seen some periodic rallies. You know, we got the really strong rally Friday afternoon. Uh, that shows that there's some buyers uh, waiting to pounce and that people are looking at the same, you know, historical geopolitical patterns that, that we've looked at. Yeah, no, great points there. And that's true, right? I mean, one of, the, one of the positives about when stocks go down and earnings continue to be pretty strong, stocks are cheaper, right? So that's just something for longer term investors to remember. You know, one other thing I wanted to point out here. Um, and uh, regarding, you know, the, the geopolitical concerns, right? Sir John Templeton said, Sir John Templeton, I'll get it right, said the four most dangerous words, this time is different. Well, this time does feel a little bit different because when Russia invaded Georgia, Russia invaded Crimea, that upset people for a while. And then we kind of moved on. I get the feeling um, that this time is different, right? We're not just going to forget However, this ends up, what's happening right now, the rest of the globe is not going to forget. So again, the, the, the potential future fallout and future sanctions on Russia, um, you know, we're just going to watch it. But again, it does feel uh, much different. Now, Jeff, final comment from me on kind of some of this, the idea of being down in January and February, right? Uh, that's what happened. The S&P was down both of those months, down over 5% in January and down over 3% in February. By the way, Jeff, put you on the spot. Do you know the only sector out of the 11 S&P 500 sectors, to be positive the first two months of the year, the other 10 are down. You know who it is? Oh, I'm going to say energy. Yes, that's a, you're, you're a wise equity strategist. Energy. That was, that was an easy one. I know, I know. Yeah, well, you're coming back from vacation. I'm going to give you some softballs. But yeah, just think about that. Out of the 11 sectors, only energy was positive in January and only energy was positive in February. Now, some were pretty close to being positive uh, both of those previous months, but that's just interesting. Um, but the idea of, okay, well, that doesn't sound great. And you look historically, Jeff, the average, uh, the final 10 months of the year, uh, the various times it's happened is only about 4% return the rest of the year. So not that great. The good news recently, 2020, 2016, and 2009 were the most previous years we've seen the first two months down and the rest of the year did really well. Let's see up 27% the final 10 months in 2020, up 16% the final 10 months in 16, and 2009, obviously a little different, up almost 50%, up over 50% the final 10 months on the S&P. Of course, a huge sell-off ahead of that. I mean, Jeff, again, final question for you, then we'll move forward and talk a little bit more about policy and, and what it all means. Um, do you think, let's see, do you think we can get, say, 15, 20% bounce from here, which would put us up all new all-time highs and close to that 5,000 fair value target we have? What do you think? Yes, absolutely. You You're still, you know, middle of an economic cycle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, even if you, you know, take a little bit of um, 
uh, a little bit out of your economic growth forecast and your profit forecast because of higher energy costs and higher than expected inflation, uh, you still got, you know, again, like I said, likely three and a half plus percent GDP growth this year in the U.S., probably high single digit earnings growth this year in the U.S. Energy will certainly help drive that, uh, but uh, it won't just be an energy story. Consumers are in good shape. We're going to see a little bit of a pickup in capital investment. Interest rates still low, even lower now that we've had this Ukraine situation. So um, sure, there are a lot of reasons to think stocks could make a run here late this year, uh, you know, potentially back and loaded with the midterm pattern. But still, uh, yeah, I, I think we can we could do that. A lot has to go right, but we could do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, last week we had durable goods, uh, some really strong durable goods orders as well, which again is a very important function of kind of how the economy is doing, how capital expenditures are doing, how manufacturing is doing, and all those things. And that again, that's just one bullet point. But we've seen some overall better economic data being led by strong earnings. Jeff, final conversation we're going to talk about uh, just kind of the idea of inflation. Right. Um, and and rate hikes and kind of what it all means. Now, let's put it this way. If you look at um, Ukraine, they're number one in the world in sunflowers, uh, sunflower seed production. They're in the top 10 in wheat, uh, barley. Uh, they, they're called the bread, the breadbasket of Europe. Right. I mean, so much of Europe gets their grains and wheats and sunflower seeds from the Ukraine. Clearly, with what's going on, wars are inflationary by nature, but this one sure feels even more inflationary um, due to what's going on and how Europe needs so much of what the Ukraine produces. And now they're going to stop producing it because they've got to defend their country from an invader. So they're not going to be worrying about their sunflower seeds right now. Um, how worried should we be, Jeff, about inflation already is a big deal. Now it's just going to even get higher, at least in Europe, right? What's your take? Sure. Yeah, this is it. There's never a good time for, yep. for war, and especially in this case uh, with what's happening um, with Ukraine. But um, now is especially bad economically because you have the high inflation on top of high inflation, right? Uh, WTI crude oil in the US is over 100 bucks last check yep. now. So um, the, uh, you know, we're putting a strain on the world that hurts emerging market countries more it hurts lower income consumers around the world more because they can you know they spend a higher percentage of their incomes on um, food and energy but um, oh this is absolutely a, a challenge central banks have to continue to pull back support even though uh, we have war going on mm -hmm. no absolutely I mean on the YouTube channel we're showing kind of the inflation uh, that we're seeing in the United States, Eurozone, United Kingdom, Canada, Australia, not surprisingly uh, much higher. But Jeff, the, we kind of hinted at this. Uh, what does this potential conflict mean for central bank policy? On this very podcast, maybe three, maybe four weeks ago, we talked about the idea of a 50 basis point cut. There was a 95, even higher percent chance, according to the Fed Fund Futures, of a 50 basis point hike I don't know if I said the word cut a second ago. If I did, I'm sorry. 50 basis point hike this coming March. You and I both said, um, you know, we're not economists. Sometimes we play one on TV, but we're not buying that. Now it's like, a, as of this morning, a 2% chance of a 50 basis point hike. So clearly the, the, the geopolitical concerns have kind of pulled that back. What's your take on Fed policy here? And even global policy, we've got a bunch of central banks kicking it off. I think with the ECB, I think next week, I believe, um, on what could happen this March with all the, EC, with all the uh, central bank talk. Yeah, it's a huge month for global central banks, which we wrote about in the weekly market commentary this week. Uh, 
Lawrence Gillum, our fixed income strategist, uh, uh, took the lead on that, did a great job. Uh, what was really interesting about that piece is what well, you're seeing it on the, the chart here for those watching. The market's pricing in an interest rate cut in 2024, <laughs> right? Basically saying we're going to have a recession and the, the Fed's going to have to pull back. Uh, that that I thought was interesting. UK too, the same story. So for me, you know, whether we get uh, four hikes or six hikes or whatever this year, that's not imp as important to me as uh, how far do they go and do they invert the yield curve, which would be a precursor potentially to recession. So you know, is that two percent? Are we talking about two and a half? That's a really hard question to answer. But the market is saying maybe the Fed doesn't have time to even get above two. Right. Before they have to reverse course, go the other way. Mm -hmm. No, I, absolutely. I mean, you know, again, we just had a team meeting yesterday and, you know, Lawrence, kind of our Fed whisperer, he's been a little more skeptical. The Fed would be quite as hawkish as the seven or eight hikes. We're more in the four or five range. But again, really the last five cycles, at least since 1990, the very first hike every single time was a quarter basis point hike. Doesn't mean this one can't be 50, trust me. Um, but again, it, it just kind of seems like slow and steady. But the bottom line, like you said, Jeff, we know more interest rate hikes are coming. And, and it's the question of how far and how high is the Fed willing to go? And honestly, I'm anxious to hear, um, you know, what, uh, well, by the way, tonight, um, we have the State of the Union, right, our president, uh, State of the Union. So what's he, what, what, what will President Biden have to say about inflation and about geopolitical concerns and all of those things? But more specifically, what I was getting at is what the Fed will have to say about the geopolitical concerns and, and could that potentially change some of the hawkish nature of their comments? It, it feels that way. Last week, last, the last week, we've seen that, right? Some of the expectations have pulled back. Uh, Jeff, we're kind of near the end of the road. What should investors be paying attention to this week? Clearly, geopolitical concerns are number one uh, by a mile. But what else do you think could matter to investors and markets this week? Yeah, I'll be interested in seeing the um, the ISM, the Institute for Supply Management, uh, data, which not only highlights manufacturing orders, but also supplier delivery times and backlogs, prices paid. Uh, we talk about that every month. Um, and then Friday, jobs report. Uh, that, at the consensus at last check, is about 400,000, which is a pretty good number. That's what we did last month, roughly. So, um, you know, anything that can get the uh, market's attention off of uh, Eastern Europe and focused on the good fundamentals in the U.S. economy, I think that will help stocks stabilize here. Um, otherwise, you just have earnings season kind of winding down. The numbers haven't really changed, but mm -hmm. uh, all in all, not only good numbers for Q4, but estimates actually are still higher than they were on January 1st, which is an impressive accomplishment for corporate America, given the challenges. Absolutely. You look at sentiment polls, consumers are having some of the lowest confidence they've had in 10, 11 years. Yet you look at what they're doing with their wallets and pocketbooks out there. They're out there spending and growing corporate America. Maybe the CEO confidence numbers are a little lower, rightfully so with everything. But then you see what corporate America has to say and what they're really doing. They're still comfortable with how the economy looks. They're still investing in themselves with capital expenditures. Durable goods are strong and earnings are strong. So again, it's kind of what, what people say is one thing. What they do is another. And what people, corporate America and consumers are doing is still a healthy sign that this economy could surprise to the upside, honestly, when all is said and done and then justify stock markets, maybe um, you know, continue to go higher here and all the terrible things that have happened to kick this year off um, are still terrible. But again, from an investment point of view, it could be an opportunity. So Jeff, welcome back. Uh, you picked an excellent week to go away. Don't let anyone ever tell you not a 
top-notch strategy equity strategist because to have missed last week was genius <laughs> i wish hope oh, my next vacation i can time it as well as you do that was great but we're honored you're back and thank you to everyone well, well maybe not honored you're back i'll say we're honored to all the listeners we're glad you're back well you know what i'm honored you're back i'll say i'll, I'll say that um, <laughs> but i but, missed you 22 22 that was yeah. the other side of it, right? You and yeah. Scott Brown did a great job on the podcast. I listened last week, and uh, yep. the two twenty two twenty two thing would, was fun. That, that was fun. I was in the middle of a meeting. This is one of those standard meetings you have throughout the week at 2, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2, 2 in the middle of the afternoon and totally forgot to even look at it because I was in, in a meeting. That's just how it goes. Um, but anyway, thanks to everybody uh, for listening and watching on the YouTube channel. We've hit some enormous numbers the last couple of weeks with the market volatility and our blog, lplresearch.com, hit some like record views there as well. So thanks for everyone who keeps uh, coming to us when volatility and the news gets scary. We're going to continue to talk about everything we see out there. Jeff and I are going to take next week off. Um, I'm actually out of town um, and, and we'll, for work, and a couple of us are, so we're not going to do the podcast next week, uh, but we'll be back in two weeks. And with all that, everyone, thanks to Neil, our producer, as always. We'll see everyone in two weeks. Stay safe out there, and uh, we'll talk about it then. Take care. Bye-bye. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations, and may lose value.